All right, so we're here today. Good morning, y'all. Good morning. It's gonna air in the morning. It's gonna air in the morning. Yeah, right. I, I was just—I know my brain exploded when you did it because I thought about it. Just, <laughs> she looked at me like, "What like, the hell's wrong with you?" I was rolling with it. I was like, "Okay, <laughs> it's gonna open." I got it. It's, yeah, it's 11 a.m. is yeah. It's 11 a.m. Everyone, through the magic of radio. It it's is. 11 a.m. somewhere right now. <laughs> So good morning, listeners. We're happy to have you with us. It's another RVA Dirt's Municipal Mania. Mania, mania, mania. Yeah. I hope y'all missed me last week. I was going through a little, <clears throat> a little cough. I'm back now. What's up? Yay. Welcome back. So you got Welcome Francesca. Home. Oh, Jesse. Hello. I'm here. <laughs> and Melissa. And we got Hi. some guests today. Yeah. First Hi. in a series. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to let you guys introduce yourselves because you can do it better than we can. I am Liz Dorr and I am school board rep for the first district. And I'm Andreas Addison, First District City Council person. And we are first and fabulous. We are. Oh my God. <laughs> yep. You is fabulous. Something we talk about a lot, I think, is uh, just the relationship between city council and school board. I think you guys probably have one of the tighter relationships, and, and you guys do a lot of things together. You have a, a website that you share with information. So can you talk a little bit about maybe the last two years in the first district, your relationship together? Sure. I think we're both really proud of our uh, working relationship, um, and we've, we're friends now as well, which has been awesome. Um, we used to live on the same block, which was kind of crazy. But While, while you were both elected at the yeah. same time? Yeah, oh, Andreas wow. left yeah, a couple moved. months ago, yeah. but yeah, for a while we wait, for the first to the first wait, district wait, wait. still, right? In, yeah. in the first district still. Yeah. Yes. Okay. okay. Just okay. asking for clarification. Would like to welcome another first and fabulous member, Parker Agilesto. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love Parker. I love you, Parker. So so glad to have you in our district. We're really proud of our um, our relationship, and we it's been really intentional when we met. Throughout the campaign and then after the campaign and made a commitment to each other that uh, we would not uh, fall victim to some of the mistakes that our friends in the city have in the past and really try and work together and advise each other on school and city issues. And I think we've upheld that promise. One thing that I told Andreas my first uh, first couple of weeks in office is that I was not going to challenge him for city council. I think that creates some of these antagonistic relationships when you always have a school board member in the back of their heads running for city council. So I wanted to make sure that um, I made that commitment to him so that uh, that sort of freed up any kind of animosity between the two of us. And then from there, you want to talk about yeah. website. I mean, I think halls. setting up from that standpoint, I wanted to make sure we kept education and the city as two, well, the same thing. It's the same city we both serve, and I think we both have a different role. Um, collectively, we share the representation of the first district. So we should have our district meetings together. We should do a website and a Facebook page, and we should be able to share the stories that I think all people should want to know about. And I think um, one of my favorite moments was in the beginning of the first year. We had a couple of town hall meetings, and there's a little pushback about why is school board at a district meeting for city council? And I try to break it down into dollars and cents of, well, about one in five dollars that you pay to the city goes to schools. And you should want to be aware and accountable of what's going on with that dollar. And that's, that's right. what Liz Dorr is here to do. And I think, you know, when I broke down that barrier, our, our attendance has stayed pretty consistent. I mean, we, we didn't haven't lost anything. But I think at the end of the day, it's great having parents and it's great having residents and it's great having different sides of the community coming together, listening to both of us, and then sharing their same concerns or ideas and then hearing from both of us an answer. And 
lot of times a Q&A, while it might be a school question, I chime in because she can only do things that I approve through the budget. And us being able to work together in that discussion shows how we do have to work together. Mm-hmm. There's a collaboration, and I think we both share the same goals and uh, ideas together. But doing that, and, and I think a seamless aspect is, well, easier for us because there's no yeah. lag. It's a relationship we have professionally and politically that we need to bring to the table. I'm glad we're doing that together and we maintain that. Oh my goodness, this is a kumbaya moment. Yeah. Oh, yes. So nice. (laughs) It's, yeah, it's, it's, (laughs) it's not hard. I mean, we don't always agree on everything, but we have a really positive working relationship. And I, I call Andreas all the time to ask for his advice on decisions that I'm going to make. And, and, you know, we, we meet regularly. So it's, it's great. I think it's great because it was something we talked about last week. And I, I, we, I always flash back to the 2016 campaign of a big thing that people really ran on was communication between city council and school board. And I, I wanted to bring it up, especially early on, because I think that you two are really probably the, the, the standouts in that arena of proactively working together. People that also you can see like an implementation and a plan and intentionality to your point around Grace it. Just, of... dusted, just dusted his shoulder a little bit. <laughs> proud of himself. Living up to a campaign promise. Wow. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. What do you know about that? I think it's something that people definitely appreciate and I think you can see it especially even in tough decisions. It, it's something that definitely shows through. So thank you guys for that. I'm going to thank you guys thank on behalf yes. of people. So. Insert applause here. Literally. Thanks, Melissa. Yeah, no problem. Gotcha. <laughs> so let's talk, though, about a little bit more about the first district. So if you guys can talk specifically from like the school's perspective about what schools and then also what areas and neighborhoods the first represents for those that might not know. So we represent, we're basically north of the river and west of the boulevard to the county and then south of Monument-ish. So there's, you know, some caveats there, but think Museum District, Near West End, Windsor Farms are our major neighborhoods, U of R. So this, from the school's perspective, that is the schools that I'm in charge of or assigned to are Mary Mumford, Albert Hill Middle, and Thomas Jefferson High School. But all of my Museum District constituents and their kids are, are zoned for Fox. So I Fox is also, although it's not physically located in our district, uh, a number of our constituents go to Fox. So it, it, it creates, from a school's perspective, it creates kind of an interesting challenge because we're the whitest, wealthiest district. Our schools are, are fairly good, but we also have a, a high, the high, one of the highest percent, I think probably the highest, but I don't quote me on that, percentage of people sending their kids to private school. Uh-huh. And there's certainly sometimes a perception that the first district has all the resources. So, you know, why would the schools in the first need more when, as we will probably talk about later today, you know, certainly there are equity issues that I, I, I told constituents when I was running that I wasn't just running to help out the first district schools, but it doesn't mean that the first district schools don't also have needs. So that's one of the challenges that I certainly feel uh, representing this district. No, and I think, you know, the schools we have in our in our district are very, you know, we have one of each. We have a, an elementary, a middle, and a high school. And each are facing their own challenges and their own, I think, opportunities for improving them. And I think in that, uh, it's been really great working with, with Liz on discussing what's needed. And I think looking at it from a budget standpoint, but also a resource standpoint. Now I'm working with Stay RVA and other organizations that are actually kind of founded somewhat in the first district that are really committed to the same things we ran on, which was getting more engagement with the community, with our schools 
schools, coming in and doing a lot more volunteering. We're helping with kids, after school activities, et cetera. And I think opening the doors to the community to come in and see exactly what these schools look like and who we're trying to you know, serve and, and improve the quality of education we're able to bring to prepare them for the future takes all fronts. And I think it's exciting seeing a lot of people come around that exact conversation. And I know it's not just Liz and I, it's a whole bunch of parents and people in the community that want to see that happen. Kind of add to the conversation of the diverse needs in the first district, you know, from serving on city council, the things I ran on to what I'm seeing is now as the priorities. One of the key things that comes up time and time again is public safety in terms of traffic, um, from pedestrian crossings to bikes to cars, et cetera. And, you know, the first district is a gateway to the city. We have a lot of people coming from Henrico, dropping said kids off at the um, parochial schools we have in the western part of the district and driving downtown, um, driving through residential neighborhoods on residential streets. And in that, we see a lot of those challenges coming in that uh, I need to fix and address. And it's addressing a lot of the concerns parents that come to Liz Door talk about, where it's parents that say, I just want to walk my child across the street to Mary Mumford, and I don't feel safe doing that. And when you hear a challenge like that, and you try to look at understanding the cause of where this is coming from, and I've done things that I can on council, like reducing the speed limit and improving Vision Zero, putting some signs up, some light timing to give that pedestrians was you. lead time. Yes. That was yeah. you that did that. He also reduced the speed limit on Grove right before Libya Grove, and I may or may not have gotten a ticket shortly thereafter. <laughs> oh, I have. I'm one of those parents that drives from the county that commutes into your district to take my kid to that school, and I've gotten a ticket, and I wasn't even speeding. So now you know who to thank. Yeah, so well, that was you. So thank you, and you're welcome. Um, <laughs> Uh, but when I look at those these challenges, um, I think to me, it's, it's hard to kind of figure out what's the best way to address it, because these aren't people that are residents necessarily that are right. causing a lot of the challenges that are neighborhoods facing. And I think sometimes- when But they're there every day. They're there every day. And I cannot you know change that. And so I feel like there's a lot of community conversations that are happening in terms of with the schools, um, with other community partners and neighborhoods. We have a wealth of really strong and active community um, organizations uh, across the first district. And I think they like to share their own um, ideas and engage their members to ask for ideas what we want to fix. And I think for me, traffic, pedestrian safety, parking is, of course, a key issue all across the entire district. Um, the museum district is unique. They're actively actually saying we want to see better enforcement of parking because they know that it impacts their ability to out get out of their house. It impacts their ability to take a right turn or a left turn from Nanzimund onto Grove. And when you look at these challenges, people parking illegally is the reason why things aren't happening. Well, I don't want to take away parking to fix an issue for traffic, but honestly, that's one of the things that is a, a conversation. And luckily for me, they've actually said that they would rather have enforcement of no parking zones at certain intersections to protect safety because it know, they know it's a bigger impact and the walkability is key for that. So there's things like that that come up through our conversations. Um, I can run down the, the, the list of other issues. There's one challenge I think the first district has that's consistent for both Liz and I is we have a, a really wealthy district. Our value of, of real estate and, and, and houses is about, I want to say, almost 20% of the city's real estate taxes. Wow. Um, and a hunk. It's twice what the average would be. It would be about 11% if you broke it down equally. And so in that, there's I'm glad. a I was just about to do that, so thank you. <laughs> you know, thank you. I was like, what with is talking that? points like that, you have to have the research and back up. Um, <laughs> and I think in that situation, there's a lot of expectations, and it's not lofty things. It's just they want to see things work. They want a government that responds to their phone calls. They want streets that aren't pocked uh, with uh, potholes. They want sidewalks that aren't lifted up by tree roots that are able to be walkable. Uh, they want things like their trash to be picked up and leaves cleaned up. They want the basic things done. And, and they get it done fast, let me tell you. I roll over a pothole on Patterson, 
by three o'clock that afternoon, it's no longer a pothole. <laughs> I'm telling you. We I work mean, on it's, that. It's that's, a, that's Bobby Vincent. That's that's the director of public works to think on that. He's uh, he's worked with uh, the mayor Stoney on making sure that priority is paramount and taken care of quickly. Oh, it is. It's so quick that I didn't even get my my claim in. Wow. For my busted you wanted rim. Proof. You wanted proof. Oh, really? That quickly? Oh, oh yeah. They had it. They had it patched up that fast. Well, good. I had to take when I went back to take the picture. It was a patched pothole. It's like man. That's quick. Yes. They knew. They knew. We need this in Northside. You guys are halfway <laughs> through. Heads yeah. up. Oh, that's crazy. Um, I know, right? It's kind of set that two-year mark. Yeah. I know. Ah, wow. Coming in close. So what do you think has been in the past two years when you were the biggest maybe misconception of things that you thought way things were going to be when you came into an elected position because you're both new to an elected office? Um, maybe what was something that surprised you or that you thought was a little bit going to be different? First of all, the first year, anyone's first year in office is just like the most embarrassing time ever because you just don't know what you're doing. I mean, <laughs> I, and you say like, I just like cringe thinking back to some of the things that I said my first year and the way that I um, comported myself because you just, you, you it's so new and it's so, it's such a weird thing that nobody can really describe being in the public eye and, you know, having things that you say quoted in the paper and, and you know, being talked about on social media and all sorts of crazy oh, whoops, stuff. Sorry. Really. Uh, yeah, <laughs> sorry. sorry. It's, it's a weird voyeuristic world. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. So I, I, and I, and Richmond is a small community, right? So like someone says something nasty about you in social media and you run into them in the grocery store. And so that's. Or at the polling place. You throw a yeah. tomato at them. <laughs> oh, awkward. Or brunch. Or brunch. Or brunch, like this, this morning, yeah. But for me, you know, that all jokes aside, I think I've learned a lot about um, the city in a way that I didn't appreciate before. Um, getting to know my colleagues on the board and, and learning from them. Um, I learned a lot about my own unconscious bias, thought that I understood racism. I thought that I understood the complex issues facing people of color in the city, and I really didn't, and I'm still learning. And I thought I understood issues of equity, and I'm also still learning. And so I think um, I think that's the thing that the place where I've grown the most and the thing that I'm most proud of is just working hard to understand um, perspectives outside of the first from my other colleagues. So yeah, that's, um, that's my biggest observation. It is a wild ride, and... I would maybe not recommend to folks running for office to be your first time pregnant when you're also the first year in office because I was <laughs> such a crazy person um, and couldn't even drink wine. So that was, yeah. Um, but um, but it, it's been fun. And, and Richmond, you know, people always say, oh, it's such a thank- thankless job. And I actually don't really agree with that. I have people thank me all the time. And I think the Richmond community is generally really, really grateful for for their local elected officials and shows up. Uh, It just has made me love Richmond even more, so. No, I I definitely agree with um, with Liz's sentiments about what it takes to learn. Like, you think you know coming in day one that you're going to be able to just take this on, you know, grab the bull by the horns, and then you realize, nope, not even close. (laughs) The uh, pace of change is slow. (laughs) It is. I think for me, with my transition from working in City Hall to then being a candidate and then now being elected, there's a lot of things that I let go of, things that I would used to do day to day in my job at City Hall that I now can't. That's not my job anymore. And so I feel like for me, there were a lot of things where I had to really be strategic and thinking about policy or initiatives and priorities, things that I wanted to see done. And one of the first things in the first six months, I think, City Council showed me was that um, it's important to have, uh, as any candidate should and do as a person in office, know your lane and define your lane of the things you really care about doing and making sure that you stick to that because it's really easy 
Yeah. You get pulled outside and these other things, and then you lose your focus. And if you don't have your thing that you're trying to change, and I think for me, it was, you know, being millennial, being an elected official, trying to drive things and change and be open and transparent and accountable with the things we do and to be communicative and open about those dialogues you want to have. It's really hard to do. And I think in that, you can really get drawn into the media aspect because I'm asked all the time for a quote or an, an article or um, and ask for what's going on in this situation. And depending on what my lane is, I don't always give it. And that meant that not as a negative, but more of a thing of, I don't just want to be a talking head. I want to be a voice of things that I really care about and want to be part of. And I think that's been important for me to stay back a little bit because access to do that's easy. But I don't want to be just another voice of, there's what, 19 of us? Another question. Quote. No, we don't need that. We have we have 19 voices that can be on the, in, in an article or a part of that. I'd rather be part of some change and then providing context to that. And I oh. think it's been hard because I had to learn. I learned a couple of lessons where I didn't do the right thing, I feel like, in my opinion, and got drawn into a conversation that might be, not have been the best of being a part of. Uh-huh. And it's more about making sure I represent my district, represent my interests and the priorities I ran for so I can deliver on those. Uh, and that's been a big, hard learning curve. And I'm not doing it perfectly either. I still have things to learn. But it is enjoyable, I think, because I think a lot of people in the media also respond to that in an interesting way. Um, certain reporters will come to me and say, so I know you probably don't want to quote on this, but what's your take on this story? And then we'll talk about it. And then I either know that how to give a good quote. I know how to talk in little bullet points to give them a, a quote or not. Or I can just kind of talk in non sequiturs so that nothing really actually can make the paper, but I can be informative <laughs> in certain aspects of that piece. And you um, live and you learn. You there live you and go. you learn. So I'm still, you know, trying to figure out exactly what all the things are. But at the end of the day, I think to Liz's other point too, I get random thank yous. Um, it's usually after I make a hard vote. It's like the Tuesday morning oh, afternoon yeah. where they're like, yeah, you did a good job with that vote. And I'm like, where were you Sunday night when I was going crazy <laughs> trying to figure out what's the best thing to do for this? But I think that's also where they want you. They want to see if you're worth your, your, your salt. They want to see if you can actually stand up and do the right thing on your own without their support. And that's hard. But that's the job that they elected us to do. Mm-hmm. And we've both had our own decisions in that same capacity we've had to make. And I'm thankful for the people that say thank you. And that encouraged me to continue on doing what we're doing. I think one that I remember very clearly is that you've gone through was actually the meals tax. You've changed ultimately an opinion on it. But I, I personally appreciated it because it showed in your conversation what you said at council was really saying I, I dug in to the resources. And I'm also curious how much you guys ended up talking and working together on that because you had a lot of the information. And it was really interesting. Yeah to see that change in, in in vocal opinion on things. And I know it was a very tough decision and even tougher when you've already said one thing. So if you guys could maybe talk a little bit about that experience. Yeah. Well, I think for me, um, I didn't lean on Liz uh, for a couple things. She also... I think was very open and honest with what this opportunity of this meals tax is bringing to school board in terms of addressing big needs for school infrastructure that have been, I think, um, passed over by previous administrations for better part of two decades, if not going on three. And so for me, you know, being in the position where, you know, my quote that was out everywhere was the best economic development investment we can make as a city is in improving public schools. And here I am facing a decision that's asking me to do just that. And with our tourism scene being driven by restaurants and our incredible food scene and having a, a pass-through um, receipt to the customer um, addition to get some additional revenues to help improve horrible school situations, one that we 
we had actually toured together. I think the tour of George Mason Elementary that Liz and I did, going into that, she was very, very pregnant. Uh, we walked through George Mason together, and I think she actually used that as a ammunition for me to kind of go, you know, this is why this is important to me. This is why you should maybe reconsider um, what your your thoughts are on this this position. But also, it wasn't just that conversation. It was more about um, understanding, you know, I don't get very many chances to make an impactful vote on council and schools. This is probably one of the only chances I could actually do something that would directly change the trajectory of our school system um, and help support um, one less thing for school board to work on and really focus on some of the classroom performance and with teachers and, and all the other things needed in their capacity. And, and this is a chance to do that. And it took a lot of information, you said, to really make that understanding. And, you know, when I came out against it, I thought there was a better way. And one of the things I quickly learned was, actually, there's not. <laughs> our, we're very limited in our, in our revenue ability. Like I love the realness. I love it. And that's a challenge. And I think the march we have um, coming up next Saturday, uh, the March for Ed, is going to be a key piece of that because I think, you know, we've got an opportunity to continue the conversation of providing additional school funding. Um, and I know that the uh, the at-risk add-on funding request for what could be $100 million or so from the General Assembly going into this year uh, is key for Richmond Public Schools to get additional funding that they desperately need from a state funding agency that I can't provide. And I can only do so much. There's only so many things, ways I can push the, the, the balloon to make things work for funding in certain areas. Uh, and that was a really tough vote. Um, I think for me, I learned a lot because I think being strong in my character to be able to change my decision on the stance uh, in a public way was, uh, I think, I learned a lot. I learned a lot about my ability to defend that, um, but also to explain what my process was. And I think there's a learning piece for the public in that, too. Uh, I had many discussions. I think many of my public meetings were completely focused on that exact topic as they should be. I had four meetings about that. And, you know, when it comes into the day, my closing point was with my constituents, I said, you know, do you understand the decision I'm making? And they'd always say yes. I go, well, good, because I don't need you to 100% agree with it. But as long as you understand why this decision is important for us and why I'm supporting it and why I changed my decision on it from my original intent is all I can ask of you. And I think there's a lot of respect that I had to earn with my constituents on that. But also I think they appreciated that openness to be changed in that capacity. So we did talk a lot about that. I, did, I wouldn't say it was all Liz saying you need to change your vote because I need your help. It was more of we've talked about this, Andreas. Well, you know. give, me, give me the credit. Oh, I will. <laughs> right, <I'll> <laughs> Come on now. I'm just joking. No. I, I, I have so much respect for you, Andreas, and especially um, it takes a lot of guts to to do what you did and to do it authentically. And um, I, you know, it's it's hard to put into words. I think as elected officials, you get you can get criticized for apologizing. You can get criticized for changing your perspective. You can get criticized for quote unquote looking weak. When I think all of those things are actually um, indications of a strong character and a strong human. Um, so I, you know. I just really respect, gained, gained a lot of respect for you. Not that I didn't have it before, but that was um, really awesome. Thanks. What? Did we just become best friends? Yep. So speaking of money for schools, which by the way, if anybody forgot, December 8th is the March for More. And I think it's 10 a.m. at Martin Luther King Middle is the one that Andreas just referenced. Yep. So that's coming up like in three days at this point now, I guess. Yeah. Can count. Um, but speaking of, you know, I, I know we talk a lot about the school infrastructure as far as structures, literally. But other things, we recently have a strategic plan that was a very community-based input of, of formulating a, a vision for the next 
believe it's five years yep. uh, for schools. And that just recently came out to have a dollar figure put to it. Uh, but also if we could talk a little bit just about what is that plan so people know, you know, what are what, what is everybody marching for as far as asking for funding the full cost of education? Because I think that's kind of a key piece of it. So yeah, the dollar amount is $150 million over the next five years. So it's it's no small amount of money. Um, and to, to your point, Jesse, we had over 170 community meetings to develop this plan. And um, it is is pretty all-encompassing and just uh, you know anything everything from fully modernizing our facilities to uh, making sure that we have more nutritious meals to uh, in our schools to um, reducing our suspension rate through things like restorative justice Um, there's a plan to um, create a theme at all middle and high schools similar to uh, Binford Middle School which is an arts integration middle school having a sister arts high school that integrates arts curriculum into the high school and and having our middle schools um, integrate STEM and other other themes. So it's 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 pretty robust. I'm really proud and excited of the different line items within the strategic plan. And when I came into office, we did not actually have a strategic plan. So there was a strategic plan adopted in 2008, but it had expired. So it's just hard to, I think, operate as a board without a longer, short, medium, and long-term vision. And so we now have that. And I think I always struggled my first two years in office advocating for a, quote, needs-based budget because I never felt like It's a good talking point, but I never felt like we fully understood what the needs were. So it didn't feel like a needs-based budget. It just felt like kind of a sort of haphazardly produced budget Mm. that was, yes, things that we need, but not necessarily directing resources to maximize what our ultimate outcomes and goals are. So it's going to be a tough tough battle to to figure out how we fund this thing. I think the cost for uh, next fiscal year, the ask is $13.8 million. So that's probably not likely going to come from the state. You know, if we want to fund cost of living increases for teachers, um, their step increases in pay, et cetera, some of those things that are always incremental year over year, it's going to mean that um, we're going to really have a a tough budgeting season. So there's going to be a lot of um, healthy conversations with the city in the next couple of months. So I know Dr. Bedden, uh, the previous superintendent, had his own academic improvement plan, aka the AIP, because we have to use acronyms for everything. Yeah, of course. (laughs) Obviously. How do you, how does this kind of differ from that? Because that is a plan, if nobody knows, went mostly underfunded or unfunded rather, but it had some of similar things as far as trying to improve performance. So how would you see those as different documents? Yeah, I would have to, it's been a year and a half since I've actually looked at the AIP. Um, I never felt like the AIP was what was really, ro- I felt like it was kind of something that it was one plan, but I didn't feel like it was super robust when I dug into the actual details and tried to pick apart what the funding request was for. I felt like it was for a couple of pieces of technology to drive academic improvement and some additional um, instructional aids in the classroom. And it wasn't a full, it was not nearly in terms of magnitude, $150 and it didn't provide a cross-section as it relates to um, facilities taking care of the whole child um, and some of the, you know, supporting our teachers, et cetera, some of the other things that are included in this plan. So, um, you know, I think I think the AIP was more focused on just the academic achievement, which is something that I think we as a board can, or any school board can get lost in, that really our job is to focus on academic achievement for our kids. And so um, I commend Dr. Bedden for uh, making sure that that was one of his focuses. But I think this plan is um, a lot more robust in scope. 
I would agree. I think it's definitely more comprehensive. I think it has that community piece of it, whereas to your point, the, the AIP was much more academic-based. Yeah. And this feels like as a, as a vision, it, it ties into a lot of places. You can hear the community voice with some of the things that they're advocating for in the plan to get yeah. funding for. It's not just that academic part of it. Yeah, and I think my hope is that with the strategic plan, um, people in the community and every member of the school board will, will be able to talk um, intelligently about each of the priority items within the plan. I think with the AIP, it was a little bit more technical for, you know, for practitioners, which is not, not important. It's certainly important, but um, with a strategic plan, we should all be able to, as a community, say these are the five things that we're advocating for, and this is why. And I think we have that now. Hi, this is Liz Dorr, First District School Board Representative. Hi, this is Andreas Addison, First District City Council Representative, and, and you are listening, listening to RBA Dirt's, Dirt's Municipal Mania, Mania WRRLP 97.3 FM, FM Richmond, Richmond Independent, Independent Radio. Of funding mm-hmm. <laughs> we're all turning to look right now here it comes <laughs> every time i talk to council about money i'm always like it's like money please i know <laughs> oh um, it's such a pain to have to go ask city council for money daddy i need 500 dollars. and if not, only you guys could raise your own revenue yeah if only we could yeah um, <laughs> I think one of the things uh, that's a current topic and looking to how to get money, because this is, again, you know, $150 million over five years. This is, we didn't get to the place that schools are in in five years. And that's, this is really a starting thing. And this is about the long term. And one of the things that has recently come up and we're in the conversations with of how to get more money for schools is increasing the revenue. And I believe you, Andreas, just had an opinion piece come out about the Coliseum development uh, or the North Abroad development or the Navy Hill development, whatever we're calling it today. Yes. Did you now? It will be printed in the paper on Tuesday. So yesterday it came out. It's online on Friday. How did you um, come to that decision? We were just talking about your meals tax decision making process a little bit. And how did you and what are you seeing in the Coliseum development plan? You know, I think, you know, it's it's not necessarily what the Navy Hill Coliseum, North Abroad, whatever title you want to give it, this is as a project, um, is necessarily it, it, the answer by itself. It's more of taking, I think, a good hard look at what is our best asset as a city to make revenue, and that is our real estate. And when I see um, a really, I think, um, poor real estate strategy in terms of maximizing what we should do to grow our city um, as a challenge to growing revenue to pay for things like a $13.5 million ask of schools, you know, our revenue growth year upon year should be in the range of two to three, maybe almost four, depending on how the, how the economy is working percent per year. When you're dealing with a $780 million budget, that's a decent amount of money. We can think about how do we add this additional new revenues to think things of like schools and roads and other priorities we have. But if that pie is not growing and we're sitting on a bunch of city-owned property or publicly-owned land that's generating zero tax revenue, um, that's a problem for me. And when you look at land like around the ball, the boulevard or the ballpark, um, that is an entirely huge swath of land that is generating zero tax dollars that is entirely more marketable and valuable as a privately um, occupied parcel of land. When you add that to this development downtown, there's a huge opportunity. The only way we're going to be able to support the future growth of our city and this new population we're seeing move in is with density and growth and development in areas where there is opportunity for that. And I think um, when you look at this 10-block area, there is zero residential in this entire area. (laughs) 
There is um, uh, empty streets that have no tr- really pedestrian traffic after five o'clock. Mm-hmm. Um, you have you know all these opportunities where there could be vibrancy, there could be things, and when you have people, you have revenue because they're going to be buying things, eating things, paying taxes on certain basic amenities, et cetera. And that's where you start creating change. And I think the Richmond 300 creates an opportunity to really look at some key corridors in our city to be rezoned and positioned to be marketable for developers and the private sector to come in and buy and make things fun and make things unique. We've grown a lot as a city. Uh, We've got a lot of great neighborhoods that have come out of you know, nothing, it seems, with restaurants and stores and um, creating new vibrancy of opportunity. I mean, Scott's Edition's one. Manchester was the first one, I think. And we've seen Churchill change a lot. But, you know, those are in little pockets. And I think when you look at what the Pulse Corridor down Broad Street's created for us, is a huge opportunity to create some economic and transit-oriented economic development that will, I think, really change our city. And you look at cities around the country, that's how they change their 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 funding. And you look at D.C., and D.C. grew a lot with some empty you know, blighted properties and delinquent areas that were just half developed and half built and said, no, we're going to make this be, you know, a really dense area for people to live, work and play. And that changes how that city now has funds to do things that they want to do to fix schools and other challenges too. Every city around the country has had to face a similar challenge. And I don't want to have it be that we have no funding to give to schools. I want it to be our revenues grew by 25 million this year. What are we going to do with it? Right. And that's a discussion we should be having rather than fighting about finding the similar funding budget we have right now and trying to make things work for a $13.5 million ask that I think with a good strategic plan, with a five-year vision that has outcomes and things defined in it, I should be able to come behind that and support that with what I can. And I know I'm one of nine voices on council and one of nine votes. 11%. 11%. <laughs> um, I think, you know, when I look at, you know, I'd love to have that same message for what school board members should have with a strategic plan as things that we should all carry as priorities. We want to see change from a city council standpoint that supports the school's strategy to say, here are the things I support fixing and improving our education platform. And I think that's where I want to see that fixed. For me right now, we have several revenue um, opportunities in the city that are, um, I think, could be improved upon. And I think, you know, we have last note I had from a recent developer um, downtown. We have about 2 million square feet of vacant commercial real estate downtown. And I want those to be filled with um, successful, thriving businesses that are going to be paying a lucrative uh, receipt sales taxes that are going to be going into our B-Pole coffers mm-hmm. to support things in fixing our schools. And right now, I don't hear that conversation happening in City Hall. And I think we need to make sure we're competitive and we're attractive and we're an area so you can get permits and your business open quickly and in a short time period so that you can start doing what you do best, running your business, selling things, making things, doing things that help generate activity and growth in our city so that I have funds to then push towards a great strategic plan for schools. Mm -hmm. Right now, we don't really have that. So I've been working really hard with the administration to tackle that. And uh, from the first meeting will be on Tuesday, but there's an economic vitality and innovation advisory committee that the the administration and the mayor's office um, has formed that uh, I worked with them on supporting to do that exact thing, discussing our revenues, um, discussing that in a public forum and dialogue about the public reports of finance and operations of our city to make sure that we're doing the best we can to be competitive and to generate as much revenues growth as we can in, as a city. Uh, I'm excited for that conversation to really bring forth some ideas on how to make sure we're getting every penny that we're owed currently 
may not increasing taxes, but are we getting all the things we should be pursuing as a city? Um, and looking at that and an in-depth level with professional people is key. People in the community that want to help schools, people that want to help us fix operations, technology, as well as fixing things of understanding economic impact. So I've been working on that for about nine months with the administration. That came directly from one of my observations of the meals tax was I wanted to re- I wanted to have a revenue strategy to support growth in the city, and I can't do that because I'm a part-time elected official. Mm-hmm. How can we get that done? And this body was one of those um, opportunities to do that. So, yeah. Yay. So we can get that on, on – can I get that in paper? <laughs> that I'm going to get my business license faster than – I'm just saying. Hope so. It took me seven months, one year to hey, get it. You know that is not unsi- that's sadly not a, a unique sto- story. Um, <laughs> oh man. Yeah, there's a couple things. I mean, yes, I'd like to hopefully see that happen. Okay. Um, I'm hoping the budget Great. process. That's a priority of mine going into the budget. So well, we'll uh, hand, hand clap to you. Well, cause... let me deliver on it first. But yes. Oh, you're gonna deliver. I'm gonna. Okay. <laughs> She's gonna keep you. No because let me tell you. Keep you to that. That no that pressure. business license situation. Yeah. It's a disaster for I mean, many small businesses in Richmond. How about just getting a business license, a permit, and paying your taxes online so you don't have to leave your place of business to go to City Hall to find and wait, parking and, and wait in and line? And wait in line to be told that you're on the wrong side of the room and you should go over there and then wait some more. To then go back to the room you're in first because you didn't have right. the right form yep. because you didn't know what was asked of you. And now we're back to How Did I Get Here? The only show that makes you ask yourself, how did I get here? Yes. Mm-hmm. I don't do that job anymore. And then after you do it, and then after you do it, suggest things, and hopefully you don't get your license in the mail for seven months. Yeah, see, no, I feel like you should be able to print it off online. I mean, a business license is a business license. If it matches what I have in my records, and you can show that you're renewing your license that already exists, Mm -hmm. should be straightforward. It's it is 2018 right now. You would think stuff works pretty commonly. I have just two questions, yeah. actually. The first one is back to Navy Hill. Because, mm-hmm. you know, there are a lot of folks that are uncomfortable with the development, sure. proposed development. What do you have to say uh, to people? Uh, how would you convince people to support this without um, any like real financials out there? And are you going to insist that those sort of things are released? Absolutely. I think, you know, this is – I've been hearing about a project that I have not seen firm – strong facts and print yet about. These are conversations that we've had, and I've been briefed by the administration um, and uh, the mayor's office several times over the past um, year about this project. And so there's been a lot of, uh, I think, behind-the-scenes discussions about priorities and negotiable terms we want to see happen in this. Uh, one of the things I think has been a key part for me was the Pittsburgh inner city visit back in our first year, 2017, uh, one of the key parts that came up was TIFFs. I think actually the quote about my trip uh, in the paper for that one was about TIFFs, specifically tax incremental finance districts to fund projects such as the Navy Hill North Abroad Project. One of the things I had of the conversation with one of the people, I think on day two of that visit, was someone said, you know, the TIF district needs to be larger than the exact project area because it makes it be that the success of that exact area, the footprint of the only the 10 blocks, doesn't make it fail or succeed. And right now, Pennsylvania had seen a lot of projects where the TIF district was only the area for development. And when you think about the surrounding areas around it, you're going to attract development, buildings, revenue. And if you're not capturing that as part of the district of the development, you're missing out on revenues that could support that financially. And that's one of the things that I think has been part of this conversation, which is why the TIF district footprint is as large as it is. Mm-hmm. Do I think this could have been pitched um, in a more, I think, um, ex- easily, more easily explained approach? Sure. Um, and I hope that we are able to get to that point as we discuss this, as things are introduced and before council and with our public committees moving forward. 
uh, I definitely commit to that. I definitely want to make sure those kind of questions and concerns are addressed. I am a big fan of the fact that from the way that numbers currently sit, it's $1 of public financing gets $4 of private financing. And when you see about a $1 gets $4 um, investment project with development, that's a big opportunity. And that is something that I don't think Richmond has seen kind of to this level before, especially one that includes several hundred affordable housing units at a really good, I think, AMI um, which is, uh, I guess, the um, average median income uh, level for affordability for families is a key part for that. And I think this creates housing in a downtown area that we don't have. And I think it's an affordability that kind of protects people of growth and opportunity to move from low-income neighborhoods into more affordable ones that are vibrant and thriving and inclusive and diverse. Uh, and I'd love to see that happen. I think this is brings that project to fruition um, in some fashion. Is it perfect? No. And I'd never said this is perfect. Um, but this is one that I think can be a really big anchor to bring more growth and opportunity downtown. You know, there's so many vacant storefronts on Broad Street. There are places that are empty, like lighted lots of buildings, et cetera, vacant lots, that I feel this project, where once um, we are able to figure out the best step forward, uh, will create a lot of, um, not speculation, but a lot of investment in areas that will support future growth in an area that we have not had. I think re-urbanizing downtown is gonna be the future change for our city that we need to have. Um, but it's not perfect. So I think back to your question, how do I help make sure people see this is not gonna be a Sixth Street Marketplace, Stone Brewery, Redskins deal, um, oh, is going to be uh, Excuse me, a big on our task. show, wait, wait, yes, yes, on our show, we don't use that, the R word. Which, which, oh. I'm sorry, they're the Washington racial slurs. Oh. <laughs> sorry. I'll just say that football team. There you go. There you go. That works. <laughs> Thank you for that clarification. Um, so, yes. Uh, <laughs> I know. I slipped last week, too. Got caught. Okay. No. Sorry. This is a, no, no. I appreciate it. This that is training a camp. It's <laughs> that building. Um, no, and I think that's, that's to me, where I want to make sure we, we move forward with. Um, and I learned a lot about these kinds of projects. And I think there's been a lot of mistakes of the past we're trying to either clear up or fix and correct today that council's done over the past two years. Um, many votes I've had to make that are not decisions I made in the beginning. And you know that's part of the job, but also it's kind of, well, how do we make sure this is avoidable moving forward? And this is that chance to do that. And I think you're, you're, you're right in asking, you know, how does this look at, as a public conversation? And I want to see that happen. And I will support as much transparency and openness and I think uh, dialogue as we can have. I, I don't want it to be a no from the public. I think it needs to be a how and what does that how look like for me? And what does that how look like for the future of our city? Because it does impact us in very different ways. Uh, so I want to see how that looks forward in that conversation. Do you have another question? Sure. Yeah, I do. Actually, so speaking about the future, I'm going to take it back a tad to when we actually first met in 2016 on the campaign trail. I asked you about the way we keep you guys accountable is being able to watch you, to have access to you, to your meetings. Um, and our technology kind of sucks uh, when it comes to that. You're being oh, it does. polite. You're being it polite. Does. I am being polite. The, ghost, um, the tech ghost of City Hall. And it's not just City. I mean, the fact that our meetings are not recorded. Right. I was going to bring that yeah. point up. They're not live streamed. Yeah. And Re Sorry, recorded, but not live streamed. Right. They're not live streamed school board meetings. We have live streamed council meetings, but they look like they are VHS recording. <laughs> and then, of course. 82. It's amazing. And it's the same VHS tape we use for every meeting. Right. And, and so that you've got the lines in it over and over again. Tracking, tracking. Right. And then, you know, you have the problem of we've had to postpone city council meetings because the audio system has just been going haywire. Yeah. And that disrupts people's, right. um, you know, uh, information about what you guys are doing. And so then do they you can't have yell any, at you the next day. 
Do you have any thoughts on that? Solutions for that? Anything is in the pipeline? Is there any money to fix this? Is there tech? any money to fix this? <laughs> I feel like it doesn't. So actually, there is. I just need to get a uh, legal approval to access it for things exactly like this. And okay. um, they're called peg fees, and they're um, captured by all of the TV stations on an incremental basis throughout the year, and it's deposited in the city. What's um, a peg fee? What's that? Is that an acronym? Uh, it is an acronym, of we course. We love it. You, look, it doesn't exist in this city if there's not an acronym yeah. for it. Um, it's something around um, entertainment and public access. So I think it's public access. Um, public, educational, and governmental. Yes. So it's all... <laughs> ma'am. Um, that's what I get for not having my laptop in front of me. So, um, yes, and so peg fees uh, sit in a, a city budget that's only defined for the uses of, in, I think, exactly like it says. Um, and in that, I feel like there's an application of saying if we're having inconsistent access to meeting spaces, recordings, video, uh, all the things that we need to have to be, I think, modern, uh, that should not be a requirement of my city council budget to do that if there's a funding stream that does this exact type of thing. My challenge has been getting that approved by legal department to say that mm. f- projects can be funded to do just this, modernizing our technology. I love to have Facebook Live for every conference meeting that we use, a conference room we have for a public meeting needs to have the same exact recording, audio visual, and access for being streamed online at any point. And the fact that that is inconsistent across the board and even the ones that have it are not even consistent in its operation is a problem for me and I want to see that changed and so while I'm not trying to commit to owning that because I'm it's it's not just up to my decision and my ability I have been openly discussing that this project in need for a while mm-hmm. and I think this project elevates that I think we have the potential for big public meetings that not everybody's gonna be able to attend that people want to be able to be involved and engaged and included with that technology would do huge step forward to making sure that they feel at least part of the conversation. Uh, we need to embrace that as well as many other areas. Our website's terrible too. But I mean, Oh yeah, Play yeah. School's my first website. It's rough. Oh, um, <laughs> there are parts of it that still say Dwight Jones on it, so I'm just saying. I just to just to add from a school board well, first of all, if there's a way for the board, school board and slash me to work with you on the peg fee situation, I'd love to explore that. And I, I will say one thing that I've talked about is um, having our school board meetings on a different night other than Monday. Yes. Because yes. even though they're supposed <laughs> to be every other rotating with city council inevitably especially during budget season you end up meeting every monday and so as a result um you can't go to both school board and city council jesse doesn't have that cool thing that hermione did to go to all the classes at (laughs) once um and so you know (laughs) i think they should be on tuesdays definitely should be live streamed it it breaks my heart every time i see a community volunteer stream live streaming our meetings because we don't have the ability to do that right now so yeah i will commit to working on that in the next year as well that would be nice nice. especially like some of these committee meetings when there's um i've noticed especially in budget season there are they're audio only but it's a hand vote or a voice vote so you can't really tell like who ends up being on what side of it and and to me that's like a reduced level of transparency especially when in committee that's where things can either really make it to the budget or make it to council or make it a Away from it yeah. or not, um, it, it would be great to be able to see that those kind of things. I think part of it's just again, it's the tech and the ability to get there. Baby steps. <laughs> yes. Baby steps. Yes. Little little. Well, baby steps for a big leap forward. I mean, I think that's my goal too. <laughs> yeah. Thank you both for that, really, because that that is a big thing for me is ac- accessibility uh-huh. to your public officials, and yeah. it's 2018. There's no excuse to have yeah. shoddy right well, AV I mean, equipment. I mean, huh. we are, you know. 
come on. I know, and we we actually use one of the best platforms, Granicus, for our um, public meetings with the with the clerk's office, and I think we only use a fraction of what the functionality that application can do. Mm. And we I want to make sure of course we maximize very that. Richmond thing to do. Yep. <laughs> I know, pay a lot of money and then <laughs> only use like a smidgen of it. Yeah, we can fix that. Peg, just to let you guys know that we found it. Peg fee is public educational and government access. That's what that is, and it shows up on your cable bill. Because yeah. it's something that we we are already paying for. It's like on our Comcast yeah. bills or whatever. Yeah, it's it crazy. Yeah. What do you guys both have in the next l- remainder of your term? Like, what big, bold, progressive, or or like, what is your main focus of things that you want to do for vision of the next two years? I am focused on three things. One is um, as the chair of the finance committee, and as someone that works in finance for my day job, I feel the I've always felt that the best skill that I can bring to the board is uh, fiscal transparency, better budgeting. I would love to see us uh, empower decision-making about budgets down out of central office. So we ask principals right now to submit their budgets, but it's it feels like we ask them to do all this work and then we don't actually listen to them. Um, and I don't think we totally empower our principals to take ownership over their budgets. So I would love to see see more of that sort of moving decision making about budgeting down um, and empowering uh, our folks, great folks in the field. And then also, I want to, my dream would be that when we ask for more money, people say, yeah, RPS manages its funds really well. And if they're asking for more money, it must be legit. And I feel like right now, the narrative is you have to get your fiscal house in order before you can ask for more money. And I hate that narrative. Um, and so my mission will be to try and uh, instill confidence in the public that we do have our fiscal house in order. And I think we've made some great uh, strides in my first two years on the board, but we still have a long way to go. And it doesn't negate the fact that we, I know we we need more money, but um, we also have to prove that we're good custodians of taxpayer dollars. So that's one. Two, I have um, become increasingly more interested in uh, student health, uh, so physical health and um, what students put into their bodies, and um, done a lot of research on how moving throughout the day can impact brain, your brain, your brain activity, and how eating healthier food, especially um, with our younger populations and the, the amount of sugar that we feed them in the cafeterias, et cetera, it's a huge problem. So I've become more passionate about identifying ways to keep our kids active, to get them healthier food. So to stop taking resource away as a punitive measure is one small example. Um, so I'm excited the school board approved earlier this uh I think in October, a school health advisory board, which is um, a board that is a partnership between the city health department and RPS. And Dr. Sapini and I will be representing RPS on that board. And I think there's a real opportunity to do some great things there. I think there's an opportunity to help get kids physical so that they can play sports. And there's a kind of a laundry list of things. So I'm excited about that. And my third priority, which has always been a priority, is continued um, identifying ways to to collaborate better with our friends at the city level. So, you know, joining arms together and advocating together for more state funding and um, continuing to break down the barriers that have existed in the past about not conversing, identifying opportunities to work together, to share resources, and to maximize our impact. For me on city council, I think, you know, the future is going to be hold, I think, really improving for the district itself 
traffic and, and I think some pedestrian safety concerns I have. I'd really love to get those bike lanes on Patterson and Malvern finished because they've been promised two years ago. Yes. And they're still not done. And it's really annoying me. And I ask every week status on that project. So I'd love to see things like that get done sooner than later. Um, but also I think for me, um, I think improving the traffic um, in, in the museum district especially, I think some of the pedestrian crosswalks uh, need to be better, um, more visible and more, I think, friendly for everyone to be able to traverse and walk and live in an urban fun area like, like I live now. I live, I'm a museum district resident myself, and I can barely pull out of the side street where I park my car to get onto Kensington um, on a daily basis. And I'm either almost hitting a pedestrian or hitting another car because I can't see around the car parked on the corner. I really want to see some improvements in that space. I also want to see uh, Thompson Street is probably one of the most trafficked cities, tra- traffic streets in the city. Um, it goes from Carytown north all the way to Broad, and I think that that area where the Poite comes off and on it um, at two different points creates a lot of tension. Uh, most specifically, it's something that, that Liz and I have talked about a couple times is that Albert Hill Middle has, does not have any fields. The fields they have are across Thompson. Yeah. And the light to cross Thompson as a little kid um, is too short. It's way too short. I've seen some close oh, yeah. calls with some wee little kids. Not, not, <sighs> does yeah. not need to happen. No. And right. so I've made sure that's a priority that's been expressed to Public Works um, and the administration as well as mayor, the mayor's office. And, you know, I think they agree that this is a concern because if you have access to Humphrey Calder Community Facility Center and the fire station right there and tennis courts and fields for doing sports and activities and a community garden right there on the corner, and I can't even walk across the street to get there. I know on Election Day uh, in November, it was was trying to just go to vote for myself. was terrible. My poll workers were literally just yeah. became de facto crossing guards because it's so bad, so bad on, mm-hmm. yeah, on election day. It was crazy. So th- things like that I want to see improved and at least addressed, at least in process of being fixed. There's a lot of steps to take getting in that, that area improved. Um, and then furthermore, in the same exact vein, I think Libby Avenue um, from Cary Street Road all the way up through Park Avenue needs to be redesigned from a traffic standpoint, pedestrian standpoint, parking standpoint. Um, and that's going to take a lot of hands on deck to improve. And I think the West Hampton uh, School Property Project with Bon Secours has been a big catalyst for that being a bigger priority to be addressed. Um, and I think that there's some opportunities there to improve that. Uh, but most of my constituents just want to see a responsive government in City Hall. I really want to make sure the RVA 311 app um, is A, user friendly, uh, B, accountable and transparent. Um, and three, I want to know what's going on in my district. And right now, I have no way of seeing that. And I think as I, I thought there was going to be a special portal for you guys. Yeah. Well, it's not there yet. Okay. Um, Just we're working on that. Oh, and, that's, uh, a, that's a fun little tidbit to know. Yeah. Um, I mean, I could request it. Yeah, but you shouldn't have to. I, that's, I agree with you. So I'm trying to make sure that's going to go away, or at least addressed so we can have that. Yeah, because that was kind of like one of the big features was supposed to be that it was you guys had your own portal to log into it, and you could follow up on them a lot easier and go back and see what's been closed out. Like, that was supposed to be a feature. Working on that. Yeah, one day. So I've been a very active and vocal person requesting that. I have monthly meetings with the the mayor and the administration, um, and I always, it's on my agenda to talk about uh, so going from that issue, I think also supporting my schools with, with Liz is a key part of that conversation, too. And whatever it looks like on a local level for our three schools that we directly represent um, or on a bigger level, I really believe that the, the needs of the first district can also transform the needs of the city. And I think bringing those opportunities, not just for fixing what I see or what we might see as our challenges, but going, OK, can we fix this forever or make this change in a much bigger context? And I think that we have a lot of the ability of bringing that voice to the table 
And I think we both share in that same sentiment to do that together um, in our own positions. And for me, I think that's kind of where I want to see some changes citywide about fixing that exact issue. I really want to see some improvement for transit-oriented economic development. I want to see a, a Pulse bus stop by the TJ um, at Malvern and Broad Street. Why that was pulled out of the plans, I don't know. But UMFS is there. Estes is there, and there's a whole bunch of state-owned property that's vacant because they don't see it valuable yet publicly. Well, if you had a big bus stop that went downtown right there beside it, and you have the spillover coming from Scott's Edition now, the investment's starting to co on the other side of Broad Street and everything else, this is now the time to do that. So there's things like that I want to see done. Um, I want to see some improvement with uh, kind of being more, I guess, accountable with our our funding. I think, you know, when school board has the ask of don't give them more money until they get their, you know, financial house in order, you know, we finally had our second CAFR done on time after having the past, you know, several years of having that problem. I can't say that to school board, you know, because I have had the same issue where my budget's um, held and operated. So I want to make sure we're doing the best we can in, in a transparent and accountable manner to be um, showing you what every penny that goes to City Hall, where it goes. And uh, I don't think we've done enough of that, but I've been working on that. And we're getting to, I think, a much bigger conversation on what I always say is I want to see the data behind that report. I want the CSV, which is comma separated values, or an Excel spreadsheet. Um, <laughs> I knew you were going to ask me what the acronym meant, so I want to make actually, sure. I, I knew that one, actually. <laughs> but not everyone does. I mean, so really does. Yeah. 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 These are the problems with jargon. It's like, yes. it didn't even register me. It'd be like, what is that again? Yes. <laughs> because I knew personally. It's, yeah. Jargon. I mean, we get we get reports all the time, and I, I want to see the data behind it, like what made that number what it is. And for certain things, it it, it is a roll up of five different data sets or five different parts of a table that made that number. Mm-hmm. Why can't I see that? Why can't I see the bar, the, the incremental details that go into making that number? Story of our life. Yeah. <laughs> and we're getting there. And I think that's one of the things Great. I want to keep driving. Um, but I think l- the last point I really want to focus on is something that we're going to be doing together on Saturday with that march is really working with the General Assembly to find ways in which we can identify and express our needs as not a help me please, but more of a here's a challenge we face as a city, and here are things that may, maybe not going directly in the face of Dylan rule, but more along the, the to- context of, you know, what are solutions we could have around this conversation? This is a great year to do that. We've got some interesting new revenues and some surpluses coming to the table that I think could opportunistically provide an avenue for being heard, where it's not just saying, give me more money. It's saying, hey, let's fix that way we do school funding for rural versus suburban versus cities. Maybe let's find ways to help support funding for our streets so we're not trying to struggle between do I fund a school or do I put more money for paving? Because that's not a decision that I think we should have to make, especially as things are economically good in our city. And right now, I'm faced with that decision as on council as we are every year of which one do we want to prioritize. And that's not fair. And uh, it's not fair to our constituents. It's not fair to our city. And it's definitely not fair to, I think, the relationship between school board and city council to have to have that debate every year. And so I want to see that kind of be addressed and discussed in a more, I guess, higher level conversation. That's not going to be us fighting between Liz and I, school board and city council, but more of going, we're limited with some things. Help us figure out how to solve that and let's have that conversation. And I think this General Assembly session could prove to be a valuable time to have that. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, thank you guys both for coming on. First thank and fabulous. <laughs> fabulous. Well, I, I mean, you guys thanked us, um, but it really is us that should thank you all talking about accessibility to information. Um, I know I personally use RVA Dirt all the time to prepare for things and whoop, whoop. read up on the Navy Hill development, the great blog post that you guys had up about that. So thank you for all that you do to get information out to the public. So 
Appreciate it. Aw, thanks. Yeah. We've all grown together. You know, you guys came in the beginning of our term. I know. And, uh, here we are. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you could have been one of us. Did about you. Thank you guys very much. I hope we'll have you guys back on once we finish all nine of you. Yes. <laughs> we love that. We love that. All right. So we thank you guys for coming. We appreciate it. And as always, Flint still has dirty water. Our PS is still not fully funded, and Richmond is most certainly still racist, but we're working on it. See y'all next week. That's it for another episode episode of RVA Dirt's Municipal Mania heard every Wednesday at 11 a.m. right here on WRIRLP 97.3 FM Richmond Independent Radio. We hope you enjoyed part one of what we hope to be a nine-part series of school board members and council people sitting down together to discuss the goings-on in their districts. Thanks again to Andreas and Liz for joining us today and being first and fabulous. If you ain't first, you're last, you know? As always, if you'd like to start a discussion with us, hit us up across all social media at RVA Dirt.